Cyberspace, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the good trash genre cast. It's continuing mission to explore strange new movies, to seek out new meaning and new analysis, to boldly go where no podcast has gone. From hell's black heart we stab at you, dear listener. This is the Good Trash Genre Cast, and we look at junk movies. This junk movie this week is Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, and uh, there's a lot of Moby Dick. Let's just say that. And so, uh, we'll do some introductions before we get any further. Across the table to the right slide, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I'm ready to boldly go. Across the table to the direct across, if you would uh, identify yourself as well. Much to my wife's chagrin, they were able to remove that second head and emasculated as I may be. I am Arthur Gordon, and this Romulan ale is quite a drink. He's back! He's not dead! I'm so happy! My name is Dustin Selves, and I will not tell you how I passed the Kobayashi Maru. Moving right along, uh, we are going to be discussing the movie Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, also known as Star Trek Into Darkness. And uh, we are going to... That was a humorous joke. A.K.A. the reboot or the original before the remake, etc., so on and so forth. We are going to begin with our quick reviews, a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, and then we're going to do what we do because this is not a review show. This is an analysis show. So before we get any further into our reviews, let's have a synopsis. The Voice of the Cinema, back from the dead, if you would, sir. With the aid of the Enterprise crew, Admiral Kirk must stop an old nemesis, Khan, Khan, Noonien Singh, from using his son's life-generating device, the Genesis device, as the ultimate weapon. Thank you for that excellent synopsis and reenactment of a piece of dialogue from the film. Arthur Gordon, you are the best, sir, and I thank you for that. So let's begin with our quick thumbs up, thumbs down. What works, what doesn't work with this film? I begin with you, Voice of the Cinema, Back from the Dead. What do you say, sir? You know what? It's good. I think it's fun. I'm not totally in love with it. I'm not, you know, dying to defend it as the greatest thing in the world or whatever. Trekkies may crucify me for that. Um, I do kind of like this more grounded focus on story. We kind of get a little more kind of background for Khan, and I know it's obviously in the TV show itself, uh, but in comparison with Abrams' film, this you know this isn't that blow them up, shoot them up, big action, set-piece-driven kind of thing. It's a little more grounded, and I like that. Uh, it's a nice change of pace. Don't get me wrong, I love Abrams' work. I love those movies, too, but I think there's definitely a place for this type of storytelling. Um, <clears throat> I, think everyone does a, eh, I think everyone does a fine job. It's what you expect from those guys. I'm not a big fan of Savick. I don't know if that's just Christy Alley or the script, the character. I don't know what it is. I'm just not a fan of that uh, inclusion. Uh, but for the most part, it's it's salvageable. I think Khan's fun. Uh, I can't think of his name. Anigo Montoya. Whatever you want to call him. Ricardo <laughs> Montalban. There it is. The Thank you, Alex Trebek. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll give it a pass. Okay. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dollar, what do you say? Does this work for you? It's okay. I wish I had seen it in 1982. I, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I, I don't know. This this really just kind of kept me at arm's length for some reason. And I'm not quite sure why. Um, and, and I would agree with Arthur. I think it's got a lot more going on uh, than, you know, Abrams' Star Trek series. And I, I mean, watching this, I can, you can really see why so many people's complaints, so many OG Star Trek fans' complaints about this new series... Uh, make a lot more sense because the Star Trek series is, is a much more cerebral science fiction series. Um, but I don't know, it's just not very enjoyable as an adventure film. Uh, it's just not. I, I think I agree with Carl Montalban's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of good, the character moments for Kirk, I think, are really cool. Um, but as a whole, I just didn't find it to be a, a really enjoyable film, which I, I wish I had. Uh, you know, this is a really much-beloved cult film, but it just didn't really do a whole lot for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I would agree. I, I think 
I think there is so much more going on than what you get in Star Trek Into Darkness, but I think Star Trek Into Darkness is infinitely more fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, and at the end, isn't that what a, an action science fiction film should be? Is fun? I don't know. Well, thanks, guys. What I would say is what this film is versus the Abrams film. Abrams is making Star Trek for everybody. Mm-hmm. This movie is for the fans. Yeah, okay. That's and the, the first film was an attempt at sort of a special effects extravaganza. And what they do with this, they sort of go back to roots. Mm-hmm. They, they take a character from the very first season of the show, mm-hmm. uh, Khan, mm-hmm. and you know revamp him and get the same actor, which is kind of a big deal, really. That, that is pretty cool. You think yeah. about the time travel yeah. involved and getting that person back for that. So there, And of course, Gene Roddenberry is cut out of the uh, creative uh, impulse as well. With this version, but the, the the whole movie is to an extent fan service. It is, I think, as Arthur was talking about, it was less action, less adventure. Again, part of what you were talking about as well, Dalton, in that it is a character study, or rather, character deepening, uh, further fleshing out, further familiarization. If you already love Sulu and Scotty and Uhura and Kirk and Spock and Bones, if you love these characters. You want to see a little bit more of them. You see little shades of them. And I think that's what threw me off, was it's a perfectly fine character study, but every bit of uh, promotional material, uh, poster that I've ever seen for this film, everything that I've ever talked about, it makes it sound like it is some kind of grand space romp. Uh, you know, action-adventure, spacey thing. And no, it, it really is a character study in a lot of ways, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those elements do work very well. Uh, I guess maybe I was sold a false bill of goods, and that really kind of threw me off. A little bit. No, that's fair. That's fair. I, I'll admit, I was expecting Kirk and Khan to throw down at least a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't... Well, they, they're they, never in the same room together. No. Well, they can't do that because it would have been totally uninteresting. I mean, Khan is a superhuman. Well, yeah, yeah, which we see in Into Darkness, and I found it interesting because it's, it's fun to watch on screen and also uh, it's a good character moment right. in, in that Abrams film. Well, it's a slightly different day and age, too. That's true. That uh, the, true. The thing is, the weakness of the characters, and I'm not sure that Shatner would have agreed to taking a beatdown. There is a moment... That's in, a good point. In, ...in the original television series when he has a confrontation with Khan, and basically Khan just grabs him, pins him, takes his gun from him, his phaser from him, and then breaks it in half right in front of him. And that's it. Like, he doesn't put the beatdown on, on Kirk, but kind of says, I could... I'm not going I'm, to. I'm the alpha and, male. And and I think Shatner agrees <clears throat> to that. Clearly, this is not a human that I'm facing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Shatner would agree to really take his lumps. Shatner point. seems to have had a really big ego until later in his life. I think as he's gotten older, he's much more self-effacing. Well, you're more generous than I, because I'm not sure it's gotten better. I think he's much more... I, he's in travel commercials. I think he's a little bit more self-effacing now. That's probably fair. Um, nonetheless, with, with the film <laughs> I, itself, I get what you're saying, though, yes. With the review that we're doing right now, uh, <laughs> what I want to say is that I like the movie. It, it's, it's fun for me. It's dated. The, the special effects, the budget difference between this and Star Trek, the motion picture, is uh, quite obvious. But I like the writing better. I like the dialogue better. I like the literary, literary references better. And all of that that kind of goes with it. But that being said, as a standalone gateway film for the the non-trek enthusiast i i can see where this is this is more of a why are here we are now entertaining this kind of moment why, why aren't you doing something with this instead of just going i get to see him again yeah it, it, this movie's more like a family reunion than it is about a actual moment of entertainment scotty beat me up moving on let's do what we do though at this point because i think this film is ripe for analysis i think there's some things going on in it and so let's apply our academic acumen uh, accordingly. I'd be good with you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say? That's something that really struck me about this because, you know, I've only seen Star Trek Into Darkness once. No, I've seen it twice. I take that back. But I, I can think of scant little analysis I could bring to that film. This movie is just chock full of analysis. I mean, there is a lot, 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 lot going on in this film. Um, what struck me the most was this conversation it seems to have with uh, mortality and getting older. Uh, obviously, this this film is famous for the death of Spock, um, which, uh, in terms of cinematic interestingness, is much more interestingly portrayed as the death of Kirk and Into Darkness. I'm sorry. This film just isn't very well shot. But, as far as emotional impact goes, the death of Spock is really meaningful. I just, it doesn't look very interesting at all. I think you make a fair distinction there. It does look better, 
in the end of darkness. Yeah. But it means less because it's a repeat and yes. you kind of already know it's a cheat. Yeah, you can tell it's a cheat because they're not going to kill Kurt. They're just not. They'll kill Spock. And in fact, they did kill Spock and it took them, you know, a movie and a half to get him back. In fact, Nimoy only agreed to do the movie if they yes. killed him. And made it irrevocable because uh, he was like, I'm done. I'm a serious actor. Or whatever. Then he got hungry. Yeah, well, everybody does. That's why he came back. They let him direct. Um, but for me, that's what this film really is about, is getting older. And that's what Kirk really wrestles with in this film, is getting older and, and coming to terms with the fact that he's not the swarthy swashbuckler that he once was. He has to really rely on his intellect more. Uh, and that's what, you know, in terms of character, make those action scenes I talked about that I don't really enjoy... They make sense in terms of the story. Uh, Kirk doesn't have the physical prowess that he once did, and it's really hard. He's, he has to get reading glasses on the, the down low from from, uh, from McCoy because he's allergic to you know whatever space drug makes your eyes better. Um, I thought that was it's pretty really, funny. It's a really yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> gag. Um, I thought that was cool, um, but that's what really struck me is this idea. And there's a whole field of sociology called gerontology that is this this social look at what it means. To get older, it's very popular right now because a bigger portion of our society is getting older than ever in the in the history of humankind, uh, because of the baby boom. the The general movie going audience would have been baby boomers when this came out, and, and I think that would have really spoke to them. Um, you know, a lot of the Star Trek fans would have been late baby boomers. You know, they would have been younger uh, on that spectrum. But I still think this film probably spoke to that because they were entering, um, you know, their thirties and forties and fifties when this film came out. I think that probably really spoke to them. Uh, looking at, you know, this this f- figure from their youth, from the popular culture of the 60s, who is getting older, who is aging, and is really having a hard time coming in terms of that, and he has to face Khan, who has also gotten older, but has not lost any of his prowess with those immaculate pecs of his. They are immaculate. They're really great. He has great cleavage. Good job, Ricardo Montalban. Good job. Those are not fake, in case you were wondering. Oh, I have no response to that. But that was really interesting for me, uh, and that was something that struck me uh, as one of the weightier things this film has to say. And I, I think it really kind of has a great cycle at the end where Kirk comes to terms with the fact that he's getting older, not just a reconciliation with his son, but also with saying goodbye to his friend. The death of his friend really helps him come to terms with his own mortality. Uh, and I think that is something that kind of probably helps with the timelessness of this film is that theme of the inevitability of death. Uh, this thing that we cannot escape, that we have to come to terms with and choose to just do the best version of us that we can uh, because we can't run from death, so it's better to probably just embrace that as a fact uh, and be your best self. And I think that's what Kirk does by the end of this film is he embraces who he is uh, as a captain and says, you know, it's okay that I'm getting older, um, was I a better captain than I am an admiral? Maybe, but I can still make a difference. Uh, and that was something I found really valuable about this film, is it is, does kind of validate um, the older generation uh, and, in general, the idea of getting older. Because you don't see many big blockbusters where the, the main character is, is getting older. <clears throat> I mean, that's something... We put a premium on youth in this country uh, and, and in our big-budget Hollywood films, and I, that was something I found valuable about this. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, there may be more tag-on to that particular analysis later in the show. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? I want to talk a little about intertextuality. This is one of my favorite aspects of film. and Sometimes it can be noticeable and foreshadow events, uh, yet at other times it may just add layered connection between tales. And in exploring art, you may grasp a deeper understanding of another artist's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to refresh the dear listener's memory, intertextuality and even intratextuality are simply moments where art or literature may quote other works of art within itself. A simple example of this is Ray Liotta's mob boss character in 2013's The Iceman, uh, which harkens back to his earlier roles in mafia films, namely Goodfellas. That, that, that's brilliant. I'm so glad you picked that example. That's, that's not what I would have thought of was the best first example, but that's fantastic. As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Well played. Okay. I assume you watched it recently. Yeah, yeah, okay. a month ago. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, this adds several elements to the new character in, in this movie and his role in the new film. 
Uh, this is really something that the auteur theory uh, ran with, I believe, in Godard and Truffaut, and uh, you see it at work in a lot of the new wave cinema and any film that really has merit as an art film, from Hitchcock and Godard to Woody Allen and Tarantino. Uh, it also makes Wrath of Khan a bit more interesting. Uh, we see this play out uh, several times, a little bit more obvious than in some films, but you, uh, you may have to pay attention to catch some of the quotes or the references. Uh, the film itself in his example, bleh. the film itself is an example of intratextual quotation as it builds upon characters introduced within the original television series right. that existed 15 years prior to this movie's release. Specifically, the episode entitled Space Seed, which introduces the character and backstory of Khan himself. I actually happened to rewatch it this week just to refresh. To remind yourself what the eugenics wars were. And it's funny because they didn't really know about genetic engineering, and so it's 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 intentional breeding. That they talk about in the episode, which is kind of interesting. Really? Yeah, it's fun. Hence I mean, eugenics. Hence, yeah. But yeah. they talk about genetic engineering in Wrath of Khan, don't they? Correct, because okay. they've since kind of really solidified that sort of DNA that that is a thing. technology, yeah. Uh, the intertextuality begins rather early when Kirk receives a copy of Tale of Two Cities as a birthday present. Uh, it doesn't have much weight in a space drama until you realize that the ending of Tale of Two Cities is dependent on the greatest example of self-sacrifice since Jesus hung on a cross. Uh, this theme of self-sacrifice is imperative to the climax of Wrath of Khan as Spock uh, sacrifices himself to save the crew of the Enterprise. Um, however, the work doesn't stop there as there are at least two more major intertextual references within the film. On the planet where Chekhov encounters Khan, we see several books. Uh, most importantly are Moby Dick and King Lear. King right. Lear influences several lines of dialogue within the film, and the idea of a tragic mad king who was blinded reflects Khan to some extent. His circumstances and the loss of his wife are quite tragic, and he points his anger at Kirk. And this is where Moby Dick comes into play, as it also influences several lines of dialogue, namely Khan's, including his final uh, monologue. And it also drives much of the plot as a mad captain begins searching the vast ocean of space for the giant white ship that has caused him so much turmoil. The Enterprise is indeed the white whale, and Khan is Ahab. These are just a couple of good examples of intertextuality in The Wrath of Khan, and it actually adds quite a bit of weight to the story and adds some layers that make it worth a little more than some of its ilk. Absolutely, absolutely. For sake, I spit my last breath at thee. That's a great line, right? Yeah. If his heart were a cannon, then, oh, it's great, you know? The so, uh, the analysis I would bring to this particular film is also tied to aging and growing older, but specifically to intergenerational conflict. Uh, specifically with regard to just the way the character types are set out. Of course, Khan is from the ancient Earth past. And of 1996. Of 1996, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, that's, that's one of those things where you almost wish you'd cast it just a little further, Roddenberry. Yeah, but 30 years? You didn't think anybody was going to remember your show in 30 years? Ah, uh, well, maybe not. <laughs> it's, that's, the, that's so funny. I'm sorry. The funniest thing to me is they refer to, like, in 1982, they're referring to events in 1996 as being, like, a giant global redefining war. Which means when they wrote it in the 60s... In fairness, in 66, they were talking 96, like, far out future. Yeah, it seemed like a long time. It was 30 years, but I guess they didn't bank on how popular the show would be. <laughs> no, they did not. Clearly not. So, what I, well, what's interesting about this is that we have this sort of ancient figure in Khan, who mm. does look quite a bit older than Kirk, as far as his hair and the lines in his face. He does mm. seem to be aged in a way that Kirk is not. Of course, he's centuries old. Even yes. He spent um, a couple hundred of those in uh, some sort of sire cryo-free sleep. Then we have Kirk, and then we have Kirk's son, the, the younger Dr. Marcus, mm -hmm. right? And in this film, there's sort of this intergenerational conflict, and this film is made for baby boomers, May, and as you were referring to it. Now, it's interesting, the actors and actresses who portray the Enterprise crew are all born just before the baby boom. They're all 1930s, early 1940s sort of birth dates, uh, for most of them anyway. Yes. And uh, so they're about 10 years older than most of the boomers. Nonetheless, all the boomers are entering into their 30s and the middle age. 1946 is roughly the beginning period. There's sort of a, a phase one boomers of 46 to 1955 that takes place. And there's another phase from about 1955 to 60. It's, yeah, the cutoff is kind of vague. It, it, yeah, that, it ranges from 60 to like 66, I think. Is which is the latest they give it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it goes all the way from the end of World War II to the start of Vietnam. So it's kind of a very big range that they haven't still haven't really defined clearly. 
Right. As opposed to the generation generation X. Which is very specific. Well, yeah. to the millennials, it's within three or four years yeah. are, are the are the various yeah. kind of divergent cuts yeah. versus nearly a decade worth of cutting mm-hmm. uh, for the for the cutoff of what makes a boomer. So this is a movie that was loved of boomers when they were children and teenagers that's being now remade for boomers as they are young adults middle-aged adults Mm -hmm. and here they are dealing with issues of generational conflict they've got this overbearing conquistador sort of generation i think the ethnicity of khan uh the actor montalban who plays khan is definitely who's playing a uh an indian an East Indian. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But he's totally keeping his same Spanish accent and or Weirdly. Mexican accent. Yeah. And it, it's completely this sort of, again, conqueror mm-hmm. uh, sort of actor versus this young, upstart, disrespectful youth generation. This is the generation that was so fearful of their children. This is the first generation to be raised with a distinct notion of generational uniqueness. The, the baby boomers were. They were. They grew up with this idea of their uniqueness. And so what we see in great part of this film is Kirk dealing with the fact that he's grown old. Now he's teaching. He's out of a starship. And what have we got to say? He sees Spock, aren't you dead? Which is a joke in two ways. Yeah. Not only is it a joke in the sense of we're getting too old for this. Well, aren't you dead yet? But also it's a foreshadowing of aren't you dead? And what's going to happen perhaps in Star Trek Three. So, and, you know, Roger, and the, the fact that Star Trek Three happens, Roger Ebert makes a joke in his review of this film mm-hmm. about the last minute and a half, two minutes of Star Trek Two being a trailer for Star Trek mm-hmm. Three, And it to- but that's, you know, they're better than that. He says something or something along those lines. And of course they're not, which is very amusing to me. The point being that this generation is sort of wrestling with its own identity. It's interesting because this is the generation that said one of two very contradictory things. In the 60s, as they were coming of age and they're in college or in high school, they said something about never trust anyone over 30. Yep. And as the 80s took place, and this is a 1982 film, they said never hire anyone under under 30. 30. Again, this sort of generational, definitional understanding of oneself. And they, 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 in this sense, it makes them unlike all the generations. The generation preceding sort of saw a great... Um, what's the word I want to look for? Great continuity between generations. That wisdom and intelligence and understanding of the world passed from father to son or mother to daughter. And that was just a thing that was sort of accepted in the generations prior. The generations following begin to see those who've gone before as sources of wisdom with things to teach and also those whom we may aid because of the changing technologies of culture to help them continue on the world. That There's sort of a symbiosis in the generations following. This is the only generation that has this great sense of adversarial relations yeah, with the generations of, before and after. They're kind of dickheads, to be perfectly honest. I, I have found boomers to be difficult people. My father is a beautiful man, but God Lord, he's a baby boomer if there ever was one. He's, and he's, a, he's a hippie who's sold out. I love my father, but that's what most baby boomers are. What I want to say to any boomer listening to the show, this is just a moment of counsel and of goodwill from Dustin of the Good Trash Honor cast, is as you age... Dear listener, if you're a baby boomer, we who belong to younger generations beneath you do not hold the same disdain for old age as those of your generation did. Give us the opportunity to love you and help you through. That's all I want to say. Moving on. I'm giving you one chance. (laughs) I'm one of of those sociologists who chooses to separate Generation Y and the millennials, and I think Generation X and Generation Y are the only generations who have any idea what's going on. Because millennials are, as far as I'm concerned, basically just the cast of Spring Breakers. Nonetheless, what I want to say is this film is about that sort of intergenerational conflict of trying yeah. to work it out. It, it really is sort of a jerk-off fantasy of, of a baby boomer. Yeah. In that you are able to defeat the, the fascist generation prior. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones who won the war that began the baby boom. Yeah. And you're also able to show your greatness and have the younger generation say to you as Dr. Marcus says, I'm proud that you're my father. Yeah. And that you're awesome and you're the best, the greatest there ever has been and ever will be. And this movie is sort of a, a 
fulfillment of that sort of fantasy. And that is its beauty and its troublesomeness for me personally. Much like uh, Taken uh, was a baby boomer fantasy, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's fair. I get to show my ex-wife and my daughter that I'm uh, the ass kicker, that I, I know what's up. The point is that sort of intergenerational conflict is really what informs this film. Yeah. And that it's as those boomers are becoming the hippies or becoming the yuppies mm-hmm. and trying to figure out their place in the world. And it, this movie is a reflection of its times. Context and cultural studies is very, very important for science fiction film. And uh, I like that about this particular movie. So there you have it. And I thank you, gentlemen, for the conversation that we've been able to have so far about Star Trek To The Wrath of Khan. And uh, the movie is it's a lot more than just a fun popcorn science fiction romp. It, really it is. is. It's You know, the more I think about it, the more I think I like it. I'll probably have to revisit it sometime yeah. soon. That makes me happy all by itself. I, I agree again, the effects do not age well. Unlike Mr. Montalban's pecs. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so this week, as we do what we always do, as we render our final verdict of this film, shelf or trash, elsewhere instead, I want to talk about when it is shelfable versus when it is trashable. Because this particular film has been available in all the possible home viewing formats. It has been available in beta, initially. Crazy. It was available in VHS, Laserdisc, Digital Video Disc, a.k.a. DVT, and finally, HD slash Blu-ray. But we'll just go with Blu-ray. I wonder like if HD it, didn't happen. I wonder if it... Is there an HD DVD of The Wrath of Khan? I, um, I'm thinking Paramount, and I'm going to go with yes. That would be so cool. If it had all of them? Oh my god, that's wonderful. I, I, I'm, I'm under the impression that the answer is yes on that, but I'm not completely certain as far as the high-definition home video viewing possible formats, but I know for a fact it is on Blu-ray, and I'm fairly about 95% certain it's on um, HD DVD as well. So, as we make our selection of shelf or trash, at which point in that continuum of time is it shelfable, I ask you, Dalton Stewart. I would say shelf it on VHS and beta, trash it on Laserdisc and DVD, shelf it on... Blu-ray, trash on HD DVD. Now explain yourself. Um, I think this film is probably totes bitchin' when it came out. Um, I said that because it was the 80s. Um, Which was like a completely 20-teens and 80s phrase. Yes. Go. You know how I roll. (laughs) (laughs) That pretty much sums up my lingo. Um, I I think when it came out, it was a watershed moment, uh, both in popular culture and science fiction and blockbuster filmmaking. I'd say it was probably irrelevant throughout the 90s and early 2000s. I, I would say it's important now because of what it represents. I think for historical reasons, it's totally shelfable. And I would say just in general, shelf it. Just because I didn't like it that much doesn't mean it's not an important film. And I think in terms of blockbuster filmmaking, uh, 1982 was a huge year uh, in film, especially hol- like big-budget Hollywood fun filmmaking. I mean... This E.T. the thing. 82 was a big freaking year for filmmaking. Uh, And I would say for that reason it's important uh, because it really rekindled interest in Star Trek, I think, in a way that Star Trek the motion picture did not. Correct. Because this movie made bookoos of money when it came out. It made a lot of cash and I think is probably singularly responsible for restarting the Star Trek film franchise as well as the Star Trek The Next Generation yeah. Deep Space Nine and Voyager. It technically made less money than Star Trek The Motion Picture. Did it really? But it made more money in comparison to its actual budget of production. Gotcha. And so okay. it was a huge success in that way. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I and and the ratios made it. It was more profitable as correct. a film. It's, yeah, correct. Yeah. But I, I think, I mean, it's, it's been talked about how it really jump-started Star Trek and bringing it back yeah. into popular consciousness. And I think for that reason, it's definitely shelfable. As well as, the, you know, all the analysis we brought to it. I think it's a very smart film. And you don't get a lot of big-budget smart films anymore. And for that reason, uh, I think it's important. I was just disappointed uh, because I was sold a false bill of goods. But that's not the film's that's fault. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Yeah. When Elster instead. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, I did do an Elster instead, did you I? You did not do an Elster instead. Do missed, it. Missed the train, sorry. No, I'm going to go ahead and do one anyway. Shut your mouth. Um, I would say else watch all the other Star Trek films. Uh, except for Star Trek Generations and the one with the humpback whales, which is four, I think. I kind of like the humpback whales. I kind of hated it when I was a kid because I saw it so many times. 
Um, I really, really don't like Generations either. I like all the other Next Generation movies except for the one with Tom Hardy because I never saw it. I would also recommend you watch Serenity, which we watched last week because it's another awesome science fiction film based on a television series that didn't last as long as it should have. Um, it's actually really all I have to recommend. I think all the Star Trek films uh, are fun or interesting in their own right and just are interesting as a, as a franchise to look at. Um, I, especially this new series. I think this new series is really interesting because it's doing so, it, it's so different from the uh, the other Star Trek films. It's much less cerebral um, and is much more of a populist kind of film, which is good and bad in different ways uh, at the same time. And also Serenity because we watched it last week and it's awesome. Arthur, Shelf or Trash, Elser Instead. Shelf or Trash with, with what format? Yes, exactly. Elser Instead. VHS Shelf. I'll skip all the others. I'd say uh, DVD, Blu-ray, you can switch them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily know that you'd have to have it on Blu-ray just because I don't think it would help. Uh, you'd be able to see... Uh, Rickles what's his, and... What's his doodles? I can't think of the actor's name. Um, Chekhov's ear. His fake ear. Uh, Walter Koenig. Okay, Walter Koenig's uh, fake ear better. <laughs> Is it Koenig or Koenig? Koenig. 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 Koenig? Koenig. Okay. Arthur Koenig Doyle. I thought it was um, one of those weird names that was pronounced much differently. It could be. Chekhov. So, so no Blu-ray, probably. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I think you just get on DVD. Get the director's cut and release version. Get all the special features that come with that. I think it'll be fine. So you can at least have all the trivia and commentaries. Um, I would say else instead. Say else. I, I think you watch Abrams films, obviously. I think they're a lot of fun. And they are different, completely different monster. Yeah, definitely. for sure. And, you know, I mean, we all we obviously get this nice time split, split universe thing, which really is a nice cheat for the producers and for Abram yeah. himself, uh, which is just opens up a whole new I think it was a really good idea. Yeah. yeah. They, they're not restricted to possible canon already. They can play with whatever they want. I think it's brilliant. Um, I say also, echoing Dalton, Firefly, Echo, or... Yeah. Firefly, Serenity, just because you have that weird, you have that weird mirror of another sci-fi show uh, cut probably before its time, and then which gets this nice cinematic uh, adaptation, and then Star Wars, why not? Star stuff, space why stuff. Why not? Why not? Yeah, that means the space films. Excellent, uh, excellent. I would say this film was definitely purchasable uh, once they made the box set of the original series movies where they all yeah. kind of melded together, right? They always had those kind of mural pictures yeah. where the yeah, VHSs yeah, yeah. would fit. Yeah. And so at that point, if you bought it alongside the rest of the entirety of all that, which is Star Trek and cinema, that would have been the time to have purchased that. Also, I think it's probably DVD purchasable at the time just because you wanted to have it. Uh, and, th- and then really, if you were a person inclined to have it then, you don't necessarily need to be a person that has it now just because Into Darkness picks up where it's, where it's left off because it's streaming everywhere and probably will be streaming off and on forever. And so I would say DVD only and VHS only with the box set just because that those were two points in time in which you were a person inclined enough to want to have the movie to have it. Um, what you should watch in else, not instead, else, because I think it's definitely a, um, a shelfable film, uh, would be you should check out Forbidden Planet, which happens to grace the cover of my cellular telephone, and uh, which is um, largely inspired by a little bit of Star Trek technology. And uh, also, uh, the, the other film I want to recommend, which is one of the aesthetic touchdowns. Well, I, re- I recommend Forbidden Planet because it is, one of the, is the first cinematic feature in science fiction that takes place off-world of planet Earth and is in large part a great inspiration for the voyages of a starship that inspired the television series. Mm. The year before Star Trek, the television series came out, Mario Bava made a science fiction film called Planet of the Vampires, in which there are these sort of vampire-like aliens on this planet being explored uh, by a crew. And again, the aesthetics of that location are very, very interesting. They're very, very Mario Bava Italian, sort of GIO-inspired bits of filmmaking as well, but it's also just the interior set designs, the ship itself, are massive inspirations on Gene Roddenberry for how he put together the original setup of the Starship Enterprise. And those bits of time capsule information I find very interesting. And that you should watch more movies from the 50s and 60s. So I want to recommend those things. I also want to recommend Nicholas Meyer's uh, book, 
A View from the Bridge, which is about his adventures in making all of the Star Trek movies and his his role as a producer and at times he's a director of this particular film. Mm-hmm. And there's some very, very interesting stuff that goes along with all of that if you happen to be Trekkie enough to care about those sorts of things. So those are my recommends. With all that in mind, let's move on to opportunities for you to weigh in on the conversation via the various means of social media that the interwebs provide for us all. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you know anything about any of that? Uh, yeah, first and foremost, if you need to, you can email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, secondly, you can connect with us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. I want to uh, interrupt, Arthur. Have we gotten any emails from the dear listeners at... Good trash on our cast? No. We have not. Not you devils. I would love to get a message. I would love for you to say hi. I listen to your show and I like it. No. I'd like a 30-page a letter. I'd like a 30-page letter about why we suck. I would also like that it almost as much as the one your sentence homework, we like you. If you choose to accept it. Yeah, even if it or, or two sentences about hey, I like your show. Cool scenes. Give us anything. We just and you were saying it. something about Facebook, I believe. Oh uh, yes, we do have a couple of tidbits from Facebook. Um, Caleb Masters, former cohort of the show, uh, he supports mine and Dalton's view on space balls that it was kind of meh. And he says that Men in Tights, the producers, and history of the world part one are Brooks' highest points. I said Blazing Saddles or Go Home, uh, Caleb Masters. Uh, to which he responded that Blazing Saddles he believes loses something. On the rewatch. Young Forget you all, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Young Frankenstein or GTFO, dude. Sorry, Masters. You're, uh, you're on your way out. Uh, Randall Bays uh, says he's fired up about a Bastille song, Pompeii. I haven't heard it, but he's really enjoying it. Bastille's a good band. And he just finished a two-night viewing of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments. A grand scheme of set pieces and costuming. And he, he says Hollywood is due a huge, elaborate spectacle film that throws everything, including the kitchen sink, in and that he can't wait to see it. Randall and I had a conversation via Twitter about biblical ethics. And I just want to point out another recommendation is a really campy biblical ethic called The Prodigal that nobody ever watched. Mm-hmm. That is a favorite of the surrealists. So do check it out. Not because it's surreal at all, but because you can think about it surreal and then it gets cray-cray. <laughs> I'd recommend Samson and Delilah because it has no sex and violence. Well, there's that. That's what we support here at the Good Trash Genre Cast. Damn right. Any more feedback coming in there, bud? That's it from the face of Facebook. Dalton, you know anything else about social media? Twitter! Twitter! Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter, at good underscore trash. Coming in from the Twitter this week, um, Brigham wanted to, uh, he, he said to all of us that he, he felt like a fool that it took him more than one listen to this this week being Spaceballs uh, episode uh, for the Darth Vader, the Sith Lord joke to sink in. That was your joke, Arthur. I don't remember it. Oh, yeah, the Ronald Reagan thing. Yeah. The joke. yeah. Can you explain that joke to me? I didn't get it either. Oh, it was, it was a quote from Back to the Future, because you were talking Back to the Future in a Star Wars movie. Correct. That's right. And I quoted Darth Vader the Sith Ronald Lord, Reagan, Ronald Reagan the actor. The actor. Okay. That was the joke. Wow, that is a good joke. That is, man, that was sly, Arthur. Good job. Uh, Brigham also hit us with a link to some Ghostbusters deleted scenes. Caleb Masters wanted to let me and the podcast itself know that his podcast had been picked up... Um, by We've Got This Covered, uh, a website that has a a reach of over 10,000. They've got 9,000 likes on Facebook and 9,000 followers on Twitter. His podcast, The Cast Beyond the Wall, has been picked up by that podcast, and he gave us a shout-out on the first episode distributed by that website. I would say this. Thank you, Caleb, for the shout-out, but we're not sellouts. We keep it independent. That's how we roll. But if you want to finance this, we'll yeah, no, take your money. I'll definitely sell out for some free <laughs> for some free equipment and a couple of free months of Netflix. Well, that makes a fantastic segue to one other bit of feedback. We received swag what? from one of our dear listeners. Are you week. serious? For you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, you have a movie poster for the film coming in theaters now called The Quiet Ones. I already Congratulations, s- sir. I already <laughs> sold out. Who sent us this? And finally, um, you get a bumper sticker <laughs> for the zombie republic. It looks like California, oh, but not really. That's so cool. It's Yeah, it's the California flag, but the bear is zombified. 
this? Who's the right one? Who did this? These are all courtesy of Mr. Caleb Vesley from the Comic Con that he attended. Thank you, well, Caleb. Thank you, Caleb. He also gave me a copy of a Sandman comic, and uh, this is just good stuff. And we awesome. are receiving swag from our dear listeners in love. And it's kind of an amazing thing. I really like this zombie republic. This is awesome. It's really I like cool. movie posters. Thanks, man. I like horror movies. It's a great combination. All right, we do need to sell out because this is way more fun yeah. than having swag. By the by, I totally Caleb Masters, dropped, hook us up. By the by, I totally just dropped this on top of my co-host without warning them. What's the other thing? The other thing is my children. Is it Smurfs? No, it's Spider-Man. Spider-Man, I can tell. Ah. That, movie no, that movie nobody gives a shit about. Oh. Uh, speaking of Caleb Vesley, he... Uh, Said that we must hashtag save Greendale at Good Trash. We need your help. Hashtag Space Jam. Hashtag Six Seasons in Movie. Hashtag Community. Of course, I retweeted that. Caleb's listening to the show enough to know that I love Community. So what am I going to do? Not do that. And then we got a bunch of stuff from at Envirodale, which is a, another Save Community Twitter account that just kept sending me quotes. <laughs> so there you go. Go humans. Finally, dear listener, just so you know, we are available on iTunes, also on Stitcher. We have a Tumblr account at goodtrashyoncast.tumblr.com. And of course, we want to keep the conversation going. And not only that, we want to further enrich you. And all these means of social media are sources by which we, we tweet articles and photographs, pictures, ask discussion questions, and just want to keep the conversation going because that's what's really valuable when we discuss the movies. Also, you can email us and find other ways to give us swag and for us to gush about your awesomeness. Moving right along, it's now time... To play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> this week's game is the game that was sort of obvious last time, but it still remains obvious this time, which is what television series. Would you like to see made into a film? And perhaps what that film may look like. Maybe some details of that plot. Again, more of our sort of producer's office, this is your pitch sort of game. I begin with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say? Uh, The first one is because I love the bat. And so I want to see Mr. Freeze done right, adapted from Heart of Ice or whatever the storyline is Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. Batman the Animated Series with... Just 100% legitimate legitimacy behind it. Uh, because Mr. Freeze is one of my favorite in Batman's Rogues Gallery. I think that story uh, on the animated series is just brilliant. And I think it is ripe for adaptation. Who plays Mr. Freeze? Man. I have a pick, but I want to hear yours. I was just thinking about it. David Strayhorn. I like it. I like it. Either Stellan Skarsgård for me or Udo Kier. I like both those picks. Who? Udo Kier? Yeah, no, I know him. Uh, he's a... Um, I can't think of anything he's been in for some reason. He's a baddie vampire in Blade 2. I don't Welcome back, guys. Uh, my next pick is going to be... I'm going to say... Dexter. Let's give it a proper send-off with an actual movie that's decent and good. <laughs> and doesn't crap out in the final episode. Um, Simpsons movie, about 15 years earlier when it was in its peak. And not the one that we got. That ripped off Stephen King, or Stephen King ripped off. My timeline could go either out. way. Yeah, my timeline's unclear on that one as well. Yeah, dear listener, can can correct me. Caleb Vesley can. I don't care. But maybe, maybe get this. I think we've got a new Tales from the Crypt for this generation. I think it's called American Horror Story. I don't want to see an American Horror Story film. Yeah. Because they can do whatever they want, and it doesn't affect anything. I think they'd have more fun at, at throwing shit and seeing what sticks to the wall. If they only had to keep it coherent for 15 minutes to 20 minutes. Yeah. I want to see Jessica Lange in it, though. Yep. And I want to see... Uh, oh, crap. What Evan Peters. Sarah Paulson. Yes. Yes. Zachary Lily Quinto. Rabe. Lily Rabe. Oh, oh my God. Oh. Lily Rabe, I love you so much. <laughs> she is the best actor on that show, period. Yeah. She's so She great. won my heart in season two. She is... She, ooh, ooh, ooh. That spoke to me. James Cromwell. That's who I'm looking I for. I love James, Com- James Cromwell. He's great. Me and Arthur just shared a moment. Wow. It's good stuff. Really really rave. Rave. Wow. Wowzers. All right. That's, those are my picks. Those are my picks. 
Lily Ray. That's my pick. I like that pick. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Arthur Gordon. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Mr. Dawson Stewart, what would you say? Uh, my first pick uh, is really just old. No, neither of these exist in a real world. I want to see a Spike film. From Spike from Buffy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want I want backstory. I watched that so hard. I want sequel. I want backstory. I want I want one of those films that's both prequel, sequel, and like intertwining with things. In between cool. Yeah, an in-between cool. The only good thing Lion King wanted to have gave us was the term in-between cool. Which is actually a thing that we get occasionally. Yeah. Three hundred, Rise of an Empire is a prequel in between cool and sequel, so that's awesome. Um I want Niska from Firefly to be the antagonist of Firefly 2 or Serenity 2 they've taken down the Alliance they've figured out what's up with the Reavers and uh, Niska finally comes back wanting his his vengeance uh, on the crew of the Firefly I think that'd be really good mostly because War Stories is one of my favorite episodes of the Firefly original series but moving on from that I would once again throw my flag in uh, with Caleb Vesley's tweet and with Community Six seasons in a movie. We're almost there. We are so, so very close. We got one more season, guys, and we get our movie. And I think that could, I think that'd be a great way to end that series, which has been a troubled series from the start. Yeah. Every season, it's been unclear who would get another season. Uh, and I think, I think one more to really tie up that show and then in a film to really give it a proper send off would be fantastic. To oh, get Lord. Donald Glover back, maybe even Chevy Chase in a cameo appearance and a flashback. Yeah. Uh, I think that'd be great. Finally, I would say Justified, which is a show that I think people who listen to the show a lot know I care I care for a great deal. Uh, it's coming to an end, and, and for some reason to me, Justified is, especially these last two seasons, have kind of had meandering plots okay. that weren't really about plot, they were more about character. They kind of became less Breaking Bad, more Mad Men the last two. Okay. okay. Even this last season, um, not the one that just finished, but the one before that, really, it had an overarching mystery, but that really wasn't... What kind of drove this season to me, especially this last season, was more about characters than really a, a you know a big bad or mystery or anything like that. Yeah. And I think that's a show that could benefit from just some character exploration um, to really close things out properly, especially because it is creeping out on its final season. But that, those are those are what I thought of. specifically for Justified, though, as far as villains go. I thought of you know it needs to be the final confrontation between Raylan Givens. Uh, played by Timothy Oliphant and Walton Goggins, who portrays Boyd Crowder, is the character that Walton Goggins plays on Justify. For some reason, I couldn't think of his name. Uh, but yeah, the, the the final showdown between Raylan Givens and Boyd Crowder, really, uh, I think that's what this next season's going to be about, but I feel like that could be its own two-hour film. My interest in the game, I want to think about villains, because I like the bad guys a lot. And I want to see Tony Soprano's movie. I know that requires time travel and resurrection, or both. <laughs> But I still want it, and I think it's fair for me to say that that's what's something I want. That's valid. And uh, I also uh, want to s- recite my love for the American Horror Story, but I want to see specifically Constant Langdon's backstory. That's what I want, is a film version of her cheating husband, the killing, the meeting of the ghost, the figuring out of the murder house, and all the spiritualities that go alongside that very first season of American Horror Story, yeah. and nothing but Jessica Lang. That's what I want. Uh, we have, of course, Moira and all all those other characters that are kind of in, incidental to that. I want to in it. We're good. Uh, well, okay, fine. Uh, figure out a way. That's all dandy by me, but I really, really want a, a Constance movie. Finally, in reference to Arthur Shirt, I cannot believe he did not come in wanting to say this. I want to see the Shredder movie. I want It's going to be a combination of Enter the Dragon meets The Godfather. How he raises to power. Holy crap, that sounds awesome. And sets yeah. up the first Ninja Turtles movie back in 1990. I want that so bad. That is that is the one TV series, two movie thing that I want more than anything in the whole wide world. I'm really excited as William Fickner as a Shredder. We've yeah. already talked about that before, but... A little whitewashing, but we'll take it. I'll take it. So let's move on to how we always conclude the show. Let's talk about what's got us fired up. How about Little Fire? This week in pop culture, Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up? Hey, not really. Uh, I today, as of today, I've caught up on season six of Sons of Anarchy. How was it? Had some highs, had some lows. I knew the major spoilers as far as death, character deaths going in. So spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Who dies? Do you, you probably don't care. Uh, Clay finally dies. Finally. 
Should have died about four, two seasons yeah, ago. Yeah, you should have died two seasons ago. And uh, Tara. What? Yeah. Holy shit. And what I knew that going in. Okay, Clay dies uh, at the hands of Jax. It's this huge cluster F set up with the Irish. Like, there's this huge thing. Yeah, yeah. Every week thing. there's this huge thing to try to get out of guns. It's kind of convoluted. That's why I stopped watching the show, because every week it's about how are we going to get out of guns. So, but Clay, I didn't feel that... Ju- I'm out. It didn't feel good. Clay dies, and it was kind of... Kind of a rip off. He was just a he was just a uh, arbitrary death. It wasn't as impactful as it would have been two seasons season ago. If he yeah. killed him in that hospital bed, yeah. Should have. Uh, the other one, Tara, though, I knew it, and the way they play it, it's real nice because it looks like Tara's gonna make this deal, rat, and take off with the kids in the whip sack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she doesn't. Jack's man's up, takes the fall for her to protect Tara mm-hmm. from having to go into coverage and from the club. Gemma doesn't know this is the thing. She just shows that she thinks Tara rats and Jax is going to prison. Mm-hmm. Jimmy kills Tara with a freaking uh, uh, meat. The oh, God, the pronged meat. Yeah. yeah. Stabs him in the back of the head in the sink after drowning her. God. And then after she dies, the sheriff shows up because he had dropped her tear off the house. And here's a clatter. He comes in to see what's going on. He goes to arrest Gemma. Juice shows up and pops the sheriff. The black sheriff that's awesome? Yeah. Oh, no. Crap oh. got crazy in that final episode. That's nuts. So I knew Tara was going to die, but the way they pull it off works well. Wow. Okay, spoilers are over. Can I say how much greatness Donald Logue is? Donald Logue is so awesome. He gets about a half season run in season six of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Phenomenal. He's just one of the best things going on in that show. I love him. Uh, we almost watched Terriers for that TV yeah. marathon we did. Dear listener, right now, you need to watch Terriers. I'm going to go... Because it's super good. Try and check that out. Yeah, I I, I, can, I couldn't more highly recommend Terriers. I've always seen him in these kind of bit parts or comedy. He was on Grounded for Life. He was yeah. the dad. Yeah. And so he's he's good guy, serviceable. Yeah. But seeing him on Sons and just kind of taking it to another level. Yeah. Phenomenal actor. He's a really, really great actor. So. I like him a lot. Uh, the next thing, I've been trying to catch up with the last season of How I Met Your Mother, which had a mixed finale, mm-hmm. uh, really a lot of backlash. I'm trying to go through that, get caught up on that. Uh, y'all mentioned it last week, but Winter Soldier, phenomenal film. Love it. Cap is incredible. Robert Redford, Anthony Hopkins go to the learning tree uh, as far as comic book films go. Uh, but really, that's about all I'm fired up with this guy, with the guys. Excellent. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week? Last week, I mentioned that The Raid 2 was in wide release. Guess what? I got to go see it with friend of the show, Brigham Cole, and it was so freaking cool. It was great. Um, it, it loses that kind of awesome thing that The Raid 1 and Dread have in that once it starts, it never stops. It's just bonkers, crazy, wild, action-y sweetness till the very last second. The Raid 2 is basically uh, The Departed, but with more people getting punched in the head. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of got a really twisty, turny gangster plot. That I hope I, that's how they pitched that to the studio. That's really how they should have pitched it because it's, it's, uh, it makes up for what the raid lacked in, in story. Okay. Uh, and some places that's more successful than others because at some points it kind of drags, but uh, overall I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I also was able to go see the Grand Budapest Hotel, which was just a delight. I don't think I like it quite as much as I enjoyed, uh, Wes Anderson's last film, Moonrise Kingdom. Um, but I do like Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel quite a bit. Ray Fiennes is uh, really at the top of his game in it. I mean, he's just dynamite. Uh, I think more than probably any actor uh, in a while that's been introduced to the Wes Anderson troupe, uh, I think he really gets the rhythm of, of that dialogue and of, of, the, of those films. Um, it's weird. Most filmmakers, as they become more self-indulgent, become a lot more obnoxious. I think as Wes Anderson becomes more self-indulgent, he actually finds his voice more and more, which I think is kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, One of those directors where you're getting better with age as opposed to... Exactly. Hot off the press, I yeah. think. Exactly. Although, you know, many people's favorite uh, Wes Anderson films still rush more, so what do I know? Yeah. Dustin Sells, what kind of bird are you? I mean, what's got you fired up this week in pop culture? I'm fired up about a couple things. One of those actually is Star Trek related. I have been the last four or five months working my way through all the television series... And so I rewatched Deep Space Nine, which my love is famous on the show. I watched the original series. I've watched The Next Generation. I've watched the entirety of Enterprise. And I'm now slogging my way through Voyager. Which no one seems to like. I don't love it. I sure don't. And Kate Mulgrew is pretty awesome, though. 
Kate Mulgrew is awesome, and I like her, uh, and, I, and I, I sort of like the desexualized female thing that goes on, which is a great idea, in, it, it, but I like it based on what doesn't happen in the movies, or rather, what doesn't happen in the TV series, rather than what does happen. Does that make sense? No, not really. They're no. not super sexualized. Okay. So I like the, the thing that they don't do. Gotcha. As opposed to liking the thing that they actually do. What do they do? We have experienced an anomaly, Captain. Let's investigate. Next episode. We've experienced an anomaly, Captain. Let's investigate. Hey, gotcha. we need supplies, and there's an anomaly nearby. Maybe we'll get home. Let's just kill me. Just all case of the weeks. Absolutely. Just things that maybe might get us home. I hate case of the weeks. Isn't that the... So plot? Gilligan's Island. Basically. Isn't that the plot of Voyagers that they're lost in space? Correct. That sounds miserable. It's It has been. It's been very difficult. Is there a robot? There is not. Well, there's a Borg person that I have Yeah, six of nine, who what? I believe is quite Jerry sexualized. Ryan? Who I have not Jerry gotten Ryan? to yes, yet. Jerry okay. I have not gotten to her yet, and that's probably when this all happens, right? So I guess there's an argument that Kess is sort of the sexual female character of the film, and show. fine, whatever, or show, whatever it is. That said, meh. That's all I can say. I have a book that I want to recommend, though, that's got me fired up. I picked up uh, Verso Publishers, which is one of my favorite publishing houses that are providing cultural studies, political studies, etc., so on and so forth. Jay Horman's Film After Film, and it's all about post-9-11 cinema. Interesting. And it is the kind of academic writing on cinema that absolutely floats my boat. And very, very excited about this. I'm a third of the way in, and... It rocks my face off. Yeah. That's all I want to say. This is very, very, very good stuff. And I think everybody should read it immediately. Go buy it now. I got it for half, half price because Verso had a fire sale last weekend, and that's why I picked it up. But you should go ahead and pay full price and get the book anyway because it's that good. I'd buy it twice now. And that's what's got me fired up this week in pop culture, and I'm so glad to hear about those things about which you are fired, gentlemen. Next time, we're going to drop an episode that we've recorded in the past about a little series of films. It's not about a film this time. We're going to do analysis about films in a franchise. Next week, we're going to Hogwarts, guys. And it's going to be Harry Potter and all things Potter. We're very, very excited. Just the whole series. The whole series. And offering some analysis about that. We've got a special guest host that week who has some expertise about that which we speak and makes us seem all the smarter because she's in the room. And we're looking forward to letting you take a listen to that next week. Stupid elf! You could have killed me! Dobby never meant to kill. Dobby only meant to maim or seriously injure. But until we review that, we hope that you go watch a movie with somebody you care about and have a conversation that matters. Because it seems that cinema is saying more than just, hey, guess what? Here's the bad guy. Here's the good guy, here's the cute girl, and somehow they all work it out at the end. There's something significant going on in there. We want that conversation to happen and to help us all discover how cinema matters. But until then, we'll see you next time. This is a song. It's the other ones who watch Star Trek, the old school Star Trek, before fucking the bullshit generations with Captain Kirk, Spock. Those are the good days. Well, this song has lyrics to it. You probably didn't know that. Gene Roddenberry wrote them. And they're about a fucking woman who is Captain Kirk's wife or like his lover or something on Earth. And he's getting, pardon, he's getting ready to go into space on a Star Trek mission. And she's like, no, I don't, I don't want you to go. Can I come on the Star Trek ship? And he's like, no, you're not trained, honey, I'm sorry. And she's freaking out. These are real lyrics. We didn't write these. You ready? Beyond the rim of the starlight My love is wandering in starlight I know he'll find in star-clustered reaches Love, strange love a star woman teaches And I know his journey ends never his star track must go on forever. But tell him as he wanders the starry
They love me though. You, you like those lyrics? Love a star woman teaches. Yeah, no, the worst part is I go, I know his journey ends never. His Star Trek must go on forever. It's beautiful. But the thing is, he wrote those shitty ass lyrics because he knew they were never going to play them. They're never going to sing them on the show. But he, Gene Roddenberry, creator, got half of the check and stuffed it in his greedy, shitty pocket. <laughs> Every time that song played, he deserved, he deserved it. And the guy that fucking wrote the music that was kick ass, he was like, I get half because of your shitty lyrics that they're never playing? That's the law. Sorry, I'm Gene Roddenberry. Be thankful for the gig. But he's a genius because he thought of Star Trek. But he's fucking also an anus greedy guy. He's both things. You can be both things. And he is both. He's dead now, though. He's awesome. Dead.